Welcome back to Bill's Chat Podcast. I am your host, Josh McCarty, and I am flying solo on this episode because my normal co-host, Luca, is traveling this weekend, but I am excited about this episode. I have a lot I want to get into with you on this episode. I will say, last time you listened to Bill's Chat with Luca and myself, we did our offensive breakdown for the 2023 Buffalo Bills, and we promised you a defensive breakdown. We are going to put a pause on that because Luca and I do want to continue that series together. So the defensive breakdown where we go through the entire depth chart and outline what we think the Bills should do at each position on the defensive depth chart will be handled this coming Friday when we return to Built in Buffalo Live Friday night on Built in Buffalo YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you can find your favorite Built in Buffalo podcasts. But what I have in store for you tonight is something I am equally excited about because we are on the brink of free agency. The combine starts this week, which means the draft is also right around the corner. And with free agency just a couple of weeks away, we already have the franchise tag windows opened up. And I think it's just important for this time of the calendar year for us all to just understand what we think the state of this team is. Do you think the team is a contender? Do you think the window is closed and they need to rebuild? I think all of those questions are important before you start looking at how you want to attack this offseason. So what I want to go through tonight are essentially 10 things I strongly believe about the 2023 Buffalo Bills. And now look, this isn't going to be 10 hot takes. I don't expect to break your Twitter with, with takes that you just couldn't see coming from a mile away. I'm not trying to make headlines with some wild opinions. Do I expect you to agree with everything I'm going to say tonight? No, that's what makes this fun. But these are things that I strongly believe about the 2023 Buffalo Bills. And these opinions are going to be the foundation of every opinion I have this offseason when it comes to what moves I think these Bills need to make during free agency and during the draft. So I look forward to going through those with you. Before I get into all of that, though, I do want to talk about a little bit of news and notes. I did mention that the franchise tag window opened last week. I don't expect the Bills to be active there. There really are only two candidates of the Bills unrestricted free agents who could be tag candidates. That's Jordan Poyer, the safety, and Tremaine Edmonds, starting middle linebacker. The number for a safety is 14.6 million. The number for a linebacker is 20.9 million. I just don't think with the state of the Bills cap that they can afford to take on that kind of guaranteed money at one position. If they are going to keep Poyer or Edmonds, it would need to be in the form of a long-term deal where they have flexibility to spread that money out and lessen the hit in year one. Because when it comes to year one, The Bills have some work to do just to get back to sea level with their salary cap. So I don't expect them to do anything there with the franchise tag. Our favorite Bills recruiter, Von Miller, was added again this week. He was posting workout videos with Titans running back Derrick Henry. And he put, of course, the eye emojis on there. And it got everybody talking like, what is Von up to? We all remember how Von was strongly recruiting Odell Beckham last year. And this came on the heels of ESPN's Jeff Darlington making a bold prediction that the Bills should trade for Derrick Henry. Now, it's important to understand the context of that segment that ESPN was doing. It was 
make a bold prediction. It wasn't predict something that's going to happen. It was say something kind of outlandish. And, and Jeff Darlington's entire premise was, hey, the Titans are cutting cap. You saw them move on from Taylor Luan. They're starting left tackle. This makes a lot of sense. The Bills are a team that needs a running back. Derrick Henry in the Bills would be exciting. I understand all of that. He's an all-pro level player. He's one of the best running backs in the league. He's also 29 years old. Three out of the last four seasons, he's had over 300 carries. The history of running backs getting that level of volume is not kind. When you compound it with his age and the fact that he had a broken foot in 2021, and when he was out, the Titans running game was actually more efficient without him off on the field. This isn't a stock I'm interested in the Bills buying into. I do have an opinion about the running back position and how the Bills are going to handle it this offseason coming up in my 10 things, I believe. So I would encourage you to stick around for that. But as it relates to Derrick Henry, I don't think this is anything that's imminent. I, I think this is really just Von Miller working out with a buddy. And I would be very surprised if the Bills found themselves trading for Derrick Henry. If you want to hear more about my thoughts with Derrick Henry, I encourage you to go to Built in Buffalo YouTube. Uh, Stokes and I put out a video this week, our quick hit series, where we put out anywhere from five to 10 minute videos, several times a week's topical videos. We did one on Robert Woods this week. Um, we have a couple dropping next week about Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. We did put a video out about Derrick Henry, the pros and cons Stokes made some really strong points about what would make Derrick Henry kind of an awkward fit in this bills offense. So I encourage you to check that out. I'd really appreciate that. Uh, but I don't think that's anything that you have to really get too, too excited about. I wouldn't anticipate the Bills going that direction. But that's really it. It's the slow portion of the season. So there's not a whole lot of news to be made as, you know, we still no news is, I would assume, good news for Ken Dorsey and Leslie Frazier. There's no reason to believe either one of those guys have lost their job. And now as we're almost into March, it would be stunning if they announced a coordinator change at this juncture. Uh, Davis Webb was a guy that um, he, he was a backup quarterback for the Giants last year. The Bills tried to bring him in as a quarterback coach last year. Uh, some thought as he transitioned from his playing career, he would maybe join the Bills. He joined the Broncos this week. So if you want to call that coaching news, I guess. Uh, but really, this is kind of the calm before the storm of combine week starting up and free agency a couple weeks away. And what's important about the combine is – this really is a chance for league executives to all converge to one city, Indianapolis. They can talk. Agents go there. And every year you start hearing more and more rumors coming out of the combine. And the reason for that is even though you're not supposed to talk to players on other teams, they all do it. And that's where you start getting rumblings like so-and-so team is interested in Jordan Poyer. So-and-so team is interested in Tremaine Edmonds. Is some of it smokescreen? I'm sure it is. But I would anticipate the rumor mill of the NFL to really start picking up steam this week. And we can all start thinking about some of those rumors that are coming out that are Bills related. So I look forward to going through that ride with you. But let's get to the premise of this episode tonight. The 10 things I believe about the 2023 Buffalo Bills. The first one is very simple. The first thing I believe about the 2023 Buffalo Bills is they're a damn good football team. And I know, hey, so, whoa, hot take alert, right? This is a team that was 
um, the leader when it came to betting on who's going to win the Super Bowl last year. And if you look at some of the betting spreads that are already out there, they're as high as three as far as who's going to win the championship next year. But the reason why I wanted to get this in there, I sense a lot of negativity from our fan base with the bad taste that the way this season ended left in our mouths. And I get it. Recency bias is a real thing. And it's something that we are all going to have to live with throughout this offseason as we navigate what's real about this team and what just really stinks about the one game sample size that was their playoff game against the Bengals. I want to remind you all, we were as excited as you can be about the 2021 Buffalo Bills transitioning into 2022 as you could possibly be about a team that didn't win the Super Bowl. This was the team that lost in Arrowhead 13 seconds. You all know the story. We were over the moon excited, and this was before they went out and signed Von Miller. Why were we so excited? The Bills in 2021 had a worse record than they did in 2022, and they also had more up and down and inconsistencies throughout the year. You. It, by the time they got to the middle of the season, it was win one, lose one, win one, lose one. They could not get any traction going. And for the longest time, it was unless they blew you out, they were losing games. But the last impression we had of that team was a perfect playoff game against New England. And as perfect as you can play offensively in a loss against Kansas City. So the way that season ended was a great deodorant for the reality of what that team really was throughout the duration of the year. I got caught up in it. I was like, damn, this is the best team in the league and it stinks they're not going to have a trophy to show for it. But I think it's important to remember, as excited as we all were, the reason we were excited is the same reason we're down right now. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm battling a little bit of a cold. <clears throat> the reason that we're all down right now is because our season ended in about as depressing of a fashion as a season could possibly end. The Bills were manhandled by the Bengals. They weren't a competitive football team in their last game of the year. They were manhandled on both lines of scrimmage, and they were completely outcoached. So it left us all wondering, how good was this team really? I want to remind you all of a 2021 game between the Buffalo Bills and the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts, who were an average football team that ended up not even making the playoffs, came to Buffalo in the middle of the season and beat the Bills 41-15. to It was a sloppy, bad-weather game. Josh Allen had a couple of bad turnovers. They couldn't get anything going offensively. It seemed like the Colts drew up some plays on offense where Jonathan Taylor was just left wide open to run to the end zone. There was an Isaiah McKenzie fumble on a kickoff return that ended up leading to a touchdown at the end of the half. The reason why that game is so hard for a lot of us to remember and why that game did not cloud our optimism heading into the 2022 season is because we didn't have to sit with it all offseason. We had to sit with it for four days before the Bills took the field again on Thanksgiving and demolished the Saints on national TV. By the time we were done digesting our Thanksgiving turkey, we were already back on the Bills hype train. 
the problem with this game is no matter how good the bills are with DVOA or how high they rank statistically or what Vegas tries to tell us about how good they view the bills. We're sitting here thinking we have to wait. It's February. Now we have to wait seven more months to see the bills play a meaningful game against somebody else to get this taste out of our mouths. It stinks, but I encourage all of you to not overreact to the last game of the season and not forget about how good this team was. I'm also not a big fan of making excuses, but if you want to make excuses for a team, this team of all teams has a laundry list of excuses. You can talk about the blizzard that cost them a home game. You can talk about the snowstorm that kept them in Chicago on Christmas Eve. The DeMar Hamlin situation was a real thing this team went through. These are human beings. The Kim Pagula situation. Dawson Knox's brother. And that doesn't even factor in the adversity this team felt when it came to star players not being healthy. They had two all pros on their defense who weren't active for the playoff game. Von Miller and Micah Hyde. A third all pro in Jordan Poyer, who, for lack of a better term, was being held together by duct tape at the end of the season. The injuries that man played through in a contract year should get him on the wall of fame immediately. The things he did to make sure he could be on the field as much as he could were almost heroic. That dude is a bill through and through, but he was not the best version of himself at the end of the year for very good reason. Jordan Phillips was essentially playing that playoff game with one arm. Daquan Jones, who next to Von Miller and maybe Gregory Rousseau was the Bills' best defensive lineman. He was by far their best interior defensive lineman was out for that game. So you can understand why this team ran out of gas. And that doesn't even factor in the fact that Josh Allen was playing with a UCL tear and Ken Dorsey was in his first year. There's just, there's reasons to understand why this team looked the way it did at the end. But let's not forget about the nucleus of this team, the foundation of this team. Do they have holes to fill this offseason? You betcha. Are there things that concern you about this roster? Absolutely. But are we in a position to throw the baby out with the bathwater because they lost in a blowout fashion against the Bengals on divisional round? Absolutely not. This Bills team is still in the middle of a Super Bowl window. And I firmly believe in the talent of this team, even if they lose Jordan Poyer and Tremaine Edmonds and Devin Singletary. We'll see what happens this offseason. But the foundation of this team is still really, really strong. That's the first thing I believe. They're not all optimistic, just so you know. This isn't going to be a cheerleader show. The second thing I believe is about Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott's come under a lot of heat this offseason. Rightfully so. Th that was a bad performance by his team in a big spot at home against the Bengals that, on the end of their season. And when you look at Sean McDermott's coaching resume, he's had some real stinkers in his season. It was a collapse against Houston in 2019. There's no other way to put it. The Bills were the better football team. They collapsed. Was that Bills team talented enough to go on a deep playoff run? Probably not. Let's just be honest about where they were in their growth, where Josh Allen was in his growth. But they were good enough to beat the Texans that day, 
and they certainly should have, and they didn't. They also, in the AFC Championship game after the 2020 season, played very cowardly when it came to kicking chip shot field goals, not understanding the magnitude of the game, not understanding the quality of the the opponent, not reading the situation of, we can't stop the Chiefs, field goals aren't going to get it done, and they ended up getting blown out of the building. Last season, the 13-second season, was a debacle. There is no excuse for the Bills not getting that game to the finish line. And that's on McDermott's resume. And it's going to be a wart on his resume until he ultimately holds the Lombardi Trophy in the air for the Bills. And then whatever happened to this team, I just listed a lot of reasons why they're excuses. Whatever happened to lead up to them getting blown out by the Bengals in round two, that's on McDermott. He has to live with that. And I just listed a lot of things that concern a lot of people about Sean McDermott. But what I'm going to tell you, what I believe, is that despite the fact that the other seven coaches in the final eight were offensive-minded coaches, and the new wave of thinking in the NFL is you have to have an offensive-minded coach for offensive continuity, particularly if your team is built around a quarterback, and Sean McDermott is a defensive-minded coach, despite everything I've just told you, I feel very strongly that Sean McDermott is the right man for the job. I really do. I did some digging on McDermott's numbers here for just my own personal research, because like many of you, when the season ended, I started questioning everything, and I wanted the numbers to point me in the direction of the right answer. And I think that's important when we start researching a topic. Don't come into a situation when you want to get an answer, knowing what you want your answer to be, and then finding statistics that back up your answer. Come into it with an open mind and then see what the statistics tell you. And that's what I did with this McDermott research I did. McDermott has been the Buffalo Bills head coach for six seasons. He currently has a 63.9 winning percentage that ranks 21st all time in NFL history for head coach winning percentage. He is currently sandwiched between Andy Reid right ahead of him, Mike Tomlin right behind him. I understand how math works. I understand that Andy Reid and Mike Tomlin have a larger sample size. So the more sample size you have, the more room you have for a year where Mike Tomlin loses Ben Roethlisberger for an entire year and Duck Hodges has to play off the string. I understand everything that goes into it and why a smaller sample size of only six years would benefit Sean McDermott. But he's still in pretty good company. But if you trim down those numbers to balance out the sample size and only look at coaches who also have six seasons exactly on their resume, you have names like Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, and Doug Peterson. In the case of McVay and Peterson, they've both won a Super Bowl trophy. Kyle Shanahan's been to a Super Bowl. So, and he's been to multiple conference championship games. Sean McDermott has a better winning percentage than all of those guys. Drilling down a little further, of every coach in NFL history that only has six years of coaching on their resume. So, in the case of McVay, Shanahan, Peterson, currently they're at six years. Next year will be their seventh. Or in the case of guys like Mike Martz, 
They only coached for six years. So every coach that currently or all time has six years exactly. Sean McDermott is the only coach in NFL history with five playoff appearances in six years. There are four tied for second place with four playoff appearances. Mike Martz, Sean McVay, Mike Sherman, and Doug Peterson. I understand the rebuttal. That's great. But what happens in the money games? I understand we've had some heartbreaking losses, but let's not act like Sean McDermott is Marty Schottenheimer. Respectfully, because I know Marty Schottenheimer is no longer with us. Sean McDermott has won playoff games too. He beat the Colts. He beat the Ravens and shut down Lamar Jackson, put the blueprint out there for how to shut down Lamar Jackson. He dominated Bill Belichick's Patriots. Dominated. The most embarrassing loss in Bill Belichick's playoff career came at the hands of Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott has two playoff wins over head coaches with Super Bowl championships, John Harbaugh and Bill Belichick. And he also beat the Dolphins this year, and a lot of us are going to sneeze at that because of Skylar Thompson. But a win is a win. If you want to belittle how important a playoff win is, look no further than the Miami Dolphins, who haven't had a playoff win since 2001. So Sean McDermott has four playoff wins, and he's getting the Bills to the playoffs at a historic rate. And that is such a big first hurdle to winning the Super Bowl. I understand we all get frustrated with what happens in the playoffs and how the season ends. You have to keep in mind, there is no way to have your season end in a playoff game and not be frustrated by it. We've seen the Bills do it all. They got blown out in Kansas City. We were frustrated. They had the absolute heartbreaking loss in Kansas City. We were frustrated. Had a heartbreaking overtime loss against Houston. We were frustrated. They got blown out in a non-competitive game against the Bengals. We were frustrated. Maybe the one example of us not being frustrated was the Jacksonville game where the playoff drought ended and we were just happy to be there. But if you're a team that's trying to win a Super Bowl, there's no way for your season to end and not be frustrated. And only one team gets to hold the trophy. But what McDermott has done is gotten his team in the tournament to compete for the trophy at a historic rate. And that is not something to sneeze at. That's very important. You get in enough in this league, you will eventually get over the hump. You need to get in, be hot, and be healthy. The Bills got in this year, and that's it. They weren't healthy. They weren't hot. You want to get mad about something, go back two years, 13 seconds. They were in. They were very hot. And outside of Tredavious White, they were extremely healthy. That was a great opportunity. But I think under Sean McDermott, these bills are going to have a lot more opportunities. And eventually, there's a good chance they'll get there. I told you this wasn't all going to be positive, but my number three one's another positive one. I think Gregory Rousseau is on the verge of being a star in this league. There's a lot of criticism right now on the defensive lineman that Brandon Bean has picked. And the Bills have failed to develop, whether it's A.J. Epinesa, Ed Oliver, Boogie Basham. And I think incorrectly, Gregory Rousseau gets lumped into that, even though he has been developing. And when you look at the 2022 Buffalo Bills, there seems to be a line in the sand of 
pre-Vaughn injury and post-Vaughn injury for where everybody fell off. I did some research this week just to see how bad it was. Going by PFF, before Vaughn Miller was hurt, Gregory Rousseau, among edge defenders, was the eighth highest rated edge defender in pass rush grade in the entire sport. Let me repeat that. The eighth highest edge rusher in the entire sport. After Vaughn's injury, he was 20th. So still comfortably a number one edge rusher on in the NFL. 32 teams, 32 number one edge rushers. He's 20th. He had eight sacks in 13 games. He also, if you want to use the Vaughn injury that happened in Detroit as kind of that time and place where the Bills pass rush fell off, let's not forget the next game was where Greg Rousseau came back from his high ankle sprain and Brandon Bean brought up in his pest. <laughs> I'm losing the ability to talk. Apparently Brandon Bean brought up in his press conference that Greg Rousseau was maybe an example of a player that wasn't playing his best ball because of injury down the stretch. And that makes sense. But he was still from the Vaughn injury on, even with the high ankle sprain, even with Vaughn Miller not drawing double teams on the other side, the 20th best edge rusher in the entire sport. And let's not forget, Gregory Rousseau is a guy who played one season in college of edge rusher, and that was 2019. He took 2020 off in Miami because his mother was a nurse. And he said the best decision for his family was to not expose himself to COVID. He was a raw toolsy project coming out of college. And in two years, he has become a guy who would have posted double digit sacks. If he had just played a full season, he played 13 games instead of 17. And he was the 20th highest rated edge rusher without Von Miller. And he finished the year overall the entire year, the 14th highest rated edge rusher on pass rush grade in the entire sport. 14th. Von Miller was 16th perspective. Gregory Rousseau is going to be a star. I fully believe that. You want to talk about the misses the Bills have had a defensive line? Do not include him in those misses because that is going very, very well. I promised you there's some negative takes coming, and here comes one. The fourth thing, I believe. It's time for the Bills to move on from Ed Oliver. It's time. He's had ample opportunity to prove he was worth the ninth pick in the draft in 2019. It hasn't happened. There's been flashes. Nothing consistent. And the most important part here, even outside of the fact that he hasn't become a consistent football player, is the fact that right now on his fifth year option, he counts $10.7 million against the cap. And unless the bills either want to give him a contract extension or add void years into that deal, that number is incredibly inflexible. It's just sitting there in a pile in the corner of the room and the bills can't touch it. And it's just sticking out like a sore thumb when you look at their cap sheet. I think the Bills should do everything they can this offseason 
to try to trade out Oliver. And when I say trade out Oliver, I realize a lot of you out there are thinking, oh, that's kind of a cool idea. He's a former first round pick, ninth overall. He's shown flashes. He's popped a couple times on national TV. I bet big baller Bean could get himself a second round pick, maybe a first round pick. No, no, no. The rest of the league has seen Ed Oliver play. The rest of the league has access to over the cap spot track, whatever resources we have to see the anchor that Ed Oliver is currently on the Bills' salary cap, the rest of the league is well aware of what the Bills would be trying to do by trading Ed Oliver. You're trading Ed Oliver for $10.7 million in cap relief, and you may not even get all of that. You might have to take on some of that. You're trading Ed Oliver to get instant cap relief, and any pick you get in the process is a bonus. My guess would be if you catch another GM on the on a great day, maybe you get a fourth. I'm thinking maybe like a fifth. And I would do it. I would do it all day long. We just talked about how Gregory Rousseau was really shining when Vaughn was in there, and he still held up when Vaughn was out. Looking at PFF, when Vaughn Miller was healthy, when Vaughn Miller was healthy, Ed Oliver was the 54th ranked defensive tackle when it comes to PFF pass rush grade. 54th. For the entire season, he was the 47th ranked defensive tackle when it comes to pass rush grade. 43rd overall, not just pass rush, but when you factor in run defense and pass rush. For the season, according to Pro Football Reference, He had 2.5 sacks, nine tackles for loss. I understand the pushback is going to be, are you just creating another hole? Who plays three technique if we move on from Ed Oliver? My counter argument is 2.5 sacks, nine tackles for loss, 47th ranked pass rushing defensive tackle, 43rd ranked defensive tackle in the sport, I'll find somebody. I'll find anybody. I'll find Tim Settle. You're not replacing Von Miller. You're not replacing Jordan Poyer. You're replacing a guy who, for all the bells and whistles in the ninth overall pick, has been pretty replacement level. I don't know how much of a drop-off you get if you dip your toe into free agency and come back with a second-wave defensive tackle. I don't know how much of a drop-off you get if you just push up Tim Settle and then go into the draft day two or even day three and just put a body in there. I really don't. And the hardest part for all of us to swallow about this is Ed Oliver was picked in a year where Quinnen Williams went third. You had no shot at him. But after Ed Oliver, Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, Jeffrey Simmons, all ranked in the top 10 of PFF, all stars in this league, all impact players, and all players other teams have to game plan for, all things that Ed Oliver has not become in his four years in the NFL. Time to cut bait. It's okay to miss. It's okay to be wrong. It happens to every team. The Chiefs drafted Clyde Edwards-Hilaire over Jonathan Taylor. They drafted McCole Hardman over DK Metcalf. 
you are going to be wrong in the draft. Nobody bats a thousand, but not admitting you were wrong and not moving off of a poor investment before it becomes too late is the mistake. And this is an important off season to admit Ed Oliver doesn't need a contract extension with the bills. And that 10.7 million could be much better spent elsewhere on this roster. Time for him to go. Number five. I think the bills are a lot higher on Spencer Brown and Ryan Bates than probably the majority of us are. And I say that because I think for the majority of bills fans, myself included, we look at this team's list of needs. And one of the first things we come up with, maybe the very first thing we come up with is offensive line. And we look at what Roger Saffold did or really didn't do at left guard. But after that, with Roger Saffold being a free agent, most of us expecting him to go on his merry way this offseason, despite him saying he wants to be back. We are like, we are good, buddy. We appreciate your one year of service, but we are going to try to find anybody else to fill that spot. The next name on that list tends to be Spencer Brown. And then I think Ryan Bates is I don't have a good feel for what Bills fans think about Ryan Bates. But I'll tell you what I think about Ryan Bates. I'll start with him. I think Ryan Bates is just fine as far as an interior offensive lineman goes. I think he is never going to be the best guard in the league. He's never going to be a strength of your offensive line. But I also think as long as the rest of your offensive line is solid, you can absolutely throw Ryan Bates out there for 16 games and get by just fine. One thing I noticed about Ryan Bates last season, when I say last season here, I mean, 2021, when he came in late, he played a lot of left guard. And then when the bills signed Roger Saffold and then brought back Ryan Bates, they moved him to right guard. And it seemed like there was a slow ramp up period for him. And I looked at his numbers on PFF. And for the season, Ryan Bates was the 49th ranked guard on PFF, which when you look at it, 32 teams, each team starts two guards. So he's in the top 64 pretty comfortably. So he's a starting level guard. You'd like him to be in the top 32. That means he's one of the better guards in the league, but he's 49th. You can live with it. I looked at his numbers on PFF. I looked at my own personal opinions of him, just kind of watching the film, watching him develop throughout the year. And I felt like he really started playing better after the bye week. So I wanted to go into PFF and see what his grades were on a custom view from the bye week on. From the bye week on, Ryan Bates was the 20th ranked guard in the league. That's pretty good. 20th. So again, 64 guards start every week. He's 20th. And that's a guy that I've already said, he's not going to be your best offensive lineman. He's not going to be your second best offensive lineman. If he's your fourth or fifth best offensive lineman, which is the sweet spot for someone like Ryan Bates, I think you're just fine. He's got a lot of athleticism. He kicked inside the center twice this year and started one time, did not go well. The next time it went pretty well. I think Ryan Bates is a guy that has a lot of value. I think the bills are high on him. I don't think they view him as a weakness on this team or as a person that needs to be replaced. I do think it's up in the air whether he is going to continue to be right guard or maybe go back to what I think is his more natural position of left guard and then help solidify that guard spot that really has been a revolving door ever since Richie Incognito left after the 2017 season. 
and really get some continuity there with Deion Dawkins. We'll see what happens there. And then Bates also has the position flexibility to get you out of a game at center and maybe could be your long-term answer at center if and when Mitch Morse decides to call the career. I think they're happy with Ryan Bates. Spencer Brown, he struggled this year. But you have to listen to what Brandon Bean says at his press conference. Brandon Bean will give you some information. And it was very clear to me when he was talking about Spencer Brown, how strongly he still feels that there's room to grow. It's going to be his second year with Aaron Cromer. He was a very raw prospect coming out of the draft. And he's a guy that also had his college development impacted by COVID, the COVID season, not COVID specifically. And then you look at him going from year one to year two, he had the back injury that really cost him a lot of his his offseason and training camp as far as development goes. I think when you add it all up with Spencer Brown, you look at the unreal athletic traits he has. You look at how good of a coach Aaron Cromer is. And you look at the fact that the Bills have other holes to fill. I expect them to bring in some competition for him. But I expect Spencer Brown to have a very good shot of being the starting right tackle next year. And I think think there is a better than 50-50 chance that Spencer Brown and Ryan Bates are both starting for the Bills, barring injury, on opening day next year. Number six. Ken Dorsey. Now, look, I was banging the drum for the Bills to go out and hire Eric Bieniemy, And the reason for that was it really didn't have as much to do with Ken Dorsey as as much of an opportunity I thought it was for the Bills to go out and potentially get the best offensive coordinator in the sport. I understand everything people say about Bieniemy didn't call plays under Andy Reid. And my counter to that would be, that didn't stop people from hiring Kevin O'Connell or Zach Taylor, who didn't call plays under Sean McVay. If Eric Bieniemy has been with Andy Reid since 2018, watching him drop game plans, watching him call plays, do you not think he got any of the rub there? Do you think he was just sitting there sucking his thumb, not learning anything? How could you possibly be better groomed to be a play caller than doing whatever Eric Bieniemy has been doing since 2018? So I always got a little annoyed at some of that pushback. So I thought it made sense, even though I still believe in Ken Dorsey. And that's where I get to this, this point. I think there's a lot of frustration out there with Ken Dorsey and I'm frustrated with them. This season did not go as smoothly as I had hoped, but I will tell you, I think Ken Dorsey has a lot of room to grow as an offensive coordinator. And I think some of the things we saw year one, at least give us hope that that growth will happen. And I want to reference this article by Michael Nania of Jets X X Factor. And the reason he wrote this article was after the Jets fired Mike LaFleur this offseason, their offensive coordinator, they ended up hiring Nathaniel Hackett. We'll see what happens there. He was trying to get a read on, is Mike LaFleur a bad offensive coordinator or was the offense bad because the quarterbacks were bad? So what he did was a deep study on trying to pull the quality of the quarterback out of the decision of if the offensive coordinator was good. And here's what he did. He charted four different metrics comparing 
Mike LaFleur to every coordinator in the sport. And this is where Ken Dorsey gets pulled in because he got rated in this too. Four different metrics. Wide open passes created, which means in his mind, a pass of at least 10 air yards with three yards of separation at least per next gen stats. Next metric was expected yards on screen, screen calls. Third was play calling predictability. And then the fourth one was unaccounted for pressures. On wide open passes created, Ken Dorsey ranked second in the entire league as far as percentage of wide open passes created, 11.1%. The only team they trailed was Miami. Think back to those Miami games, how many times Waddle and Hill just looked wide open. So whatever Dorsey was doing, he was getting guys wide open. The one metric that Dorsey really struggled on was unaccounted for pressures. The Bills were eighth worst, 1.8% of the dropbacks. There was an unaccounted for pressure. Is that Dorsey? Is that Allen? I don't know. I'm guessing with the premise of this article, trying to take the quality of the quarterback out, that this probably falls more on Dorsey. But play calling predictability. He used X pass, which is a probability that any given play will be a pass based on historical play-by-play data. The Bills actually had the sixth best unpredictable play calling in the sport. Sixth best, which is where you want to be. Like the the less predictable you are, the higher you'll be. And then the last one was expected yards on screens, which factored in how close you were to the line of scrimmage. The the Bills were the closest team to the line of scrimmage in the league on catching their screen passes. That could be a screen design deficiency because we all know they didn't have a lot of luck running screens. But as far as how many expected yards they had on the screens, which is reading the blocking as the play is setting up. The Bills had the seventh best expected yards on screens, which meant the play design should have worked. The execution of the play, whether it's the blockers getting out there, the throw by Allen, whatever, didn't work. But when you add it all up, get an average, he had Dorsey rated as the sixth best offensive coordinator in the league. There's a lot of room to grow here, and I think Dorsey is going to get better his second year. Important to note, he had a lot of similar stats to Brian Dable. I know, watch the games, stats are stats, but number two in offensive DVOA, first-time play caller, and I think he was hampered by a lack of weapons after Stefan Diggs. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Number seven, running back. We already mentioned Derrick Henry earlier in the show in our news and notes. Three out of the last four drafts, the Bills have spent a day two pick on a running back. My number seven belief is I do not believe the Bills will make a significant investment in running back this offseason. They have spent draft capital day two, three out of the last four drafts. They also trade a fifth round pick for Naheem Hines. I understand that they are in the top two odds right now to sign Saquon Barkley. I've seen the trade rumors with Von Miller working out with Derrick Henry and Jeff Darlington throwing it out there as a bold prediction. I don't think that's going to happen. I saw the article with PFF saying David Montgomery would be a good fit for the Bills. I've seen Alex Madison mentioned to the Bills. I don't think the Bills are going to make a significant investment in running back this offseason. One, I think that they feel really good about James Cook 
And I hope that they feel really good about Naheem Hines based on how aggressive they were to get him and how aggressive they were to try to get that type of type of player dating back all the way to last offseason, where I think that this is what the Bills have. Now, when I say aggressive, does that mean Devin Singletary wouldn't come back on a cheap one-year deal if he realizes his market is dried up? No, I think that's right where the Bills want to live is they're, go- they're going to need a third running back at some point. And to me, that's a veteran who doesn't strike gold in free agency. I don't think a lot of them will. Maybe Josh Jacobs, maybe Saquon Barkley. After that, you know, maybe Tony Pollard, depending on his health. After that, I think it's going to be musical chairs, and we'll just see who doesn't have a chair, and then that's where the Bills will hop in. I, I think they're going to live in the cheap veteran or day three pick, maybe even undrafted pick. That's where they need to live. Are the Bills as good as they need to be running the ball right now? Absolutely not. But at this point in time, given the investments they've already made in ball carriers, which I already think is too much, if they were to go back into the well and spend another significant capital, whether it's free agent dollars or draft pick on a running back, that to me is the equivalent of having a car that has a mechanical issue and being like, oh, I'm going to put a paint job on it. That'll fix it. No. You need to look under the hood. What's causing your running game not to work? The ball carriers have been fine, Zach Moss aside. They have enough at the ball carrier position. The issue is not the ball carrier. One, I do think there's a scheme issue. I don't know that they necessarily know what their bread and butter is, whether it's pin and pull, whether it's zone. They don't tend to stick with one thing. They try to have an expansive run game, but they don't really run the ball enough to be super good at either one of them. Two, There's an obvious weakness on this offensive line when it comes to run blockers. I love Mitch Morse. He is not a powerful run blocker. Ryan Bates, not a very good run blocker. So there's two of your guys that you know are going to be back next year that aren't necessarily good run blockers. Roger Saffold didn't run block or pass block very well last year at all. So hopefully whatever the answer is at that guard position that he vacates will be somebody who can help push the pile in the running game. But I don't believe that just firing up a shiny new new toy at running back is the answer here. The Bills need to look a little bit more under the hood. Number eight. I firmly believe that we are reaching the next wave, the next generation, the next iteration, whatever you want to call it, of the Josh Allen, Sean McDermott, Buffalo Bills. What does that mean? I compare these Bills under Josh Allen similar to the Green Bay Packers under Aaron Rodgers. And when you look at Aaron Rodgers, when he first became the starting quarterback in Green Bay, he was surrounded by guys like Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, A.J. Hawk, Charles Woodson. And then eventually those guys kind of moved on and it became Jordy Nelson, Clay Matthews, B.J. Raji. And then those guys kind of moved on and then it became Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, Jair Alexander. But the Packers consistently stayed in contention because of Aaron Rodgers. I think that the Bills are this offseason really starting to move into that second generation of the Josh Allen Bills. For the entire time Allen's been here, even before Allen got here, the lifeblood of this defense has been the Hyde-Poyer combination at safety. And I firmly believe that we have seen the last of both of those guys on the field at the same time. I would love to be wrong. I just don't get the sense that Poyer's coming back to Buffalo. So I think that Hyde-Poyer combination is done. 
We saw a reunion last year with John Brown, Cole Beasley. I don't think those guys are coming back. I think there's a better than good chance that Isaiah McKenzie has played his last game as a Buffalo Bill. They're going to reshape the weapons on this team. They need to reshape the weapons on this team. Devin Singletary has been the leading ball carrier for the last three years since he was drafted four seasons ago. And I really believe that he's probably played his last game for the Bills. Tremaine Edmonds, I'm still not ready to say he's done. I think we'll kind of see what happens with his market, but there's a chance he's gone. Tredavious White, for the longest time, was one of, if not the best players on this entire defense. I think we're kind of transitioning into him being a savvy vet, still a good-ish player, but I don't know that for the rest of his career in Buffalo, I'd love to be wrong, but I don't know that for the rest of his career in Buffalo, we're necessarily going to be thinking of him when we start thinking of people on this defense who make us feel really good about their chances of being great on defense. We're heading into the next phase. Von Miller, Kyir Elam, James Cook, Gregory Rousseau, Dawson Knox, maybe Khalil Shakir. We'll see what they do in the draft next year. But I, I think we're starting to get into that next iteration, the next wave of bills. And I, that's exciting. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but, you know, this is not new to the league. We all love our guys. We love running it back like the bills have been doing probably more than most. But eventually guys age out or they get to a point where their contract runs out and you can't afford to keep everybody. And I think the Bills are going to start to feel some of that pain this offseason with maybe a couple of guys that fans aren't quite ready to let go of. But the reality is here. My number nine opinion. Has this flown by? I feel like I feel like this has flown by a little bit. But number nine, wide receiver is the biggest need on this team. I firmly believe that. I understand every argument you want to throw at me about offensive linemen. Everything you want to tell me about running back, if you want to pound the tail of her running back, fine. I, I won't get with you on that one. I'm sorry. I can hear the offensive line one. Pass rusher, man, can you imagine if they spend another premium resource on a pass rusher after sinking first-round picks, second-round picks, huge free agent dollars? And I get it. The pass rush really fell off after Vaughn left, and you can't let sunk cost dictate what you continue to do going forward. If it's an issue, it's an issue and it's an issue, but Vaughn's coming back. Greg Rousseau has been great. I think he's been great for what you could have expected. And I expect him to be a guy that in a year or two is pushing for that NFL top 100 list that you see. Taquan Jones is going to be back. We'll see what happens with Oliver. I don't necessarily think that his impact either way is that significant, but now, to me, it's wide receiver, and it's not even close. And there's a couple reasons why. One, the immediate need. We already mentioned Beasley and Brown gone. They're free agents. I don't expect either one of them back. Jake Kumaro, whatever, probably gone. Isaiah Hodgins, you had a chance there. He's gone. Gabe Davis is going into his contract year. So you have him this year. And then it's either, do you want to pay him? Have you seen what wide receivers who put up close to a thousand yards and, you know, seven to eight touchdowns a year make? Are you comfortable giving that kind of contract to Gabe Davis? I'm not. I'd love to see a lot more out of him. 
going into next season, 2024, the Bills have Stefan Diggs and Khalil Shakir currently under contract. Stefan Diggs is going to turn 30 this season. 30. So the Bills, a pass-first offense with a quarterback we waited two decades for, has a 30-year-old and a fifth-round pick under contract for 2024. That's not good enough. When you look at the Peyton Manning Colts, they continued to flood the pipeline with receivers time after time after time. Manning showed up. He had Marvin Harrison, and they drafted Reggie Wayne in the first round in, I believe, 2001. 2003, they drafted Dallas Clark in the first round. In 1999, they drafted Edrian James in the first round, if you want to use that as an example. They also, a couple years later, I think 2006, drafted Anthony Gonzalez in the first round. They spent big free agent money on Brandon Stokely. This is a team. They drafted Donald Brown in the first round. Not all hits, but they flooded the pipelines of weapons around Peyton Manning to the point where every year he went to training camp, even when Marvin Harrison was gone, he broke the huddle and he was like, there's Reggie Wayne. There's Dallas Clark. Behind me is Joseph Adai. I got Austin Colley. I got Anthony Gonzalez. I have guys that I'm used to throwing the ball with. I have rapport with. This is not a one-year band-aid situation. This is not a go out and sign Jarvis Landry to a one-year deal. I think the Bills have the appetite to sign a veteran to a one-year deal this offseason, but that absolutely cannot be their only move. They have to spend a premium draft pick or two on a receiver this offseason to get in, add to the pipeline, get in the mix with Shakir. If you still believe in Gabe Davis, great. I personally don't think he has the skill set to be a consistent number two in this league. I think he's limited in his route tree. And I think that this is a position opposite Stefan Diggs, where that wide receiver two on the bills with Josh Allen throwing the ball is a position that is just set up to explode, to take advantage of coverages that are skewed to the receiver on the other side of the field, catching passes from a Megatron quarterback. And I've been underwhelmed by Gabe Davis and I want to see an upgrade there. And to me, the Bills cannot be aggressive enough this offseason in finding that upgrade. That is my number one need, and it's not particularly close. Number 10, the last one. Take a drink real quick. I can't thank you all enough for being patient with me. I'm fighting off a little bit of a cough. My throat's a little itchy, you know, trying to play through, trying to play hurt. I'm going to mute myself for a second so I can cough it out. But yeah, getting through this solo pod. And uh, <clears throat> Luke will be back next week. But we're not done yet. Got one more thing to say. The 10th thing, I believe. And I believe this one firmly. And this is not just about the 2023 Buffalo Bills. This is about the state of the Bills going forward. I firmly believe Sean McDermott and Josh Allen will win a Super Bowl together. Will that happen in 2023, 2024? I don't know. When you look at a season being Super Bowl or bust, it's such a hard position to be in. The Bills were 6-1 to one to win the Super Bowl this year and were the favorites from almost start to finish 
until they started having injuries. The Chiefs got the one seed and the Chiefs had better odds down the stretch. But even as six to one favorites, that's basically 15%, 15% that you're going to win the Super Bowl. Can you put yourself in Super Bowl or bust odds if your chances are 15%? I really think the goal of every team should be one, solve the quarterback situation. Until you have a quarterback that gives you a leg up against 25 other teams in this sport, you don't have a good enough quarterback. The Bills have that solved. If you want to argue about whether Josh Allen's the best quarterback in the league, he's not. Patrick Mahomes is. Or he's the second best, or he's the fifth best. It doesn't matter. He's on the list. And that is a huge advantage. The Bills are one of a handful of teams that starts every season with a head start in the race for the Lombardi. The next thing you have to do after you identify that quarterback is you have to find a way to make the playoffs consistently. Sean McDermott has made the playoffs as Buffalo Bills head coach at a historic rate. Of coaches in NFL history who have only coached six seasons, Sean McDermott is the only coach in NFL history that has made the playoffs five out of six years. And that is coming off of this franchise going 17 years without making the playoffs one time. You can say what you want to about how some of these playoff games have ended. He gets them into the dance. You have the quarterback. You make the dance consistently. I think eventually you get over the hump. Are there things we want to see McDermott clean up? Absolutely. Are there questions about 13 seconds that will never get answered? Yes, it's frustrating. But I think we have to respect the fact that McDermott keeps things in house. The house is clean. And we've seen situations where things start going a little bit shaky. Finger pointing happens. Doug Whaley's not privy to certain conversations. Or Doug Whaley and... Russ Brandon are pointing the finger at Doug Marone, St. Doug, and all of a sudden the leaks are coming out with the national media as everybody's trying to make themselves look good while the Titanic is starting to sink. There's been no sign of that under McDermott. He gets them in. They have the quarterback. I firmly believe as long as they can keep it together, they need to start drafting a little better. We all understand that. The drafts have been a little underwhelming recently. They're also picking late. Let's keep that in mind. As long as they can continue to put talent on this roster, I think they will eventually get over the hump. And I believe that Sean McDermott is the right guy for the job. I mentioned that as one of my first things, and that's where I want to finish off. As I think the Bills are in good hands. I hope you feel like you're in good hands with the Bills Chat Podcast. Luca and I take this very seriously. We, we put a lot of effort into making sure that we're bringing you the best information we can with hopefully an entertaining point of view, but also an informative point of view. We try to find a way to bridge that gap. Um, and on episodes like this where Luca's not here, I have to, you have to just hear my voice the entire time. And of course I'm dealing with something that you probably are all dealing with, uh, depending on where you're at in the country. One day it's 70 degrees, one day it's 20 degrees and man, like allergies are kicking all of our butts. I feel like everybody I know is dealing with some sort of a sinus thing or a sore throat thing, or man, it's just, I'm ready for, I'm ready for some more consistent weather to get past some of this stuff. But I'm excited because it's the calm before the storm. The combine is this week. Rumors are going to start coming out from that between agents and teams and national media. Before we know it, guys, free agency is going to be here. 
We'll know what's going on with Jordan Poyer. We'll know what's going on with Tremaine Edmonds. We'll know if the Bills do decide to trade out Oliver. Will the Bills make another splash this offseason like they did last year with Von Miller? Luca and I will be back this coming Friday, Built in Buffalo Live. And you can always find us on Bill's Chat Pod on Twitter. We try to be as active as possible there. DM us, reach out to us. We, <coughs> excuse me, we love to interact with you guys. And uh, we'll be back on Bill's Chat a week. Well, how do we want to say this? I don't want to commit to it because I'm thinking that there's a chance that the audio from the live show on Friday will be next week's edition of Bill's Chat. So follow our Twitter. We'll let you know as we ramp up here closer to the hot, hot stove part of the off season um, content will pick up. We've taken a couple of weeks off from the live show, but we're back. Like the race is back. We are here. We're ready to see what the 2023 bills are going to be all about. This was the 10 things I believe about this team. I think they're in pretty good hands. Let me know what you think. Um, you can find our podcast anywhere. You can find your podcast, Spotify, Apple. Um, our link tree is on our Twitter and still contemplating putting up full episodes on YouTube. Haven't decided if I want to do that yet, but you can always find clips on YouTube. And I am Josh McCarty, and we will see you next time on Bill's Chat Podcast.